Hey, it's Carrie. I'm so glad you've joined me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. This is episode three, Trauma and the Brain-Body Connection. So just a quick reminder that I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma support specialist with lots of lived experience with trauma. We're walking the path towards healing together. So let's dive in. So in episode two, what is trauma? I talked a bit about the brain-body connection and how what impacts one impacts the other. I wanted to go a little deeper into this piece because it's so important that we understand just what trauma does to our entire system. In taking courses on trauma and trauma-informed care, and I'm currently taking courses to become a trauma and resiliency life coach, my eyes have been opened wide in learning about all of the different aspects of trauma. It just makes so much sense in how those of us with lived traumatic experiences feel, react, respond, and behave throughout our lives. So the brain sorts its own priorities in order of importance in a biological way. The first priority is safety. The brain is primed to help us survive. Any real or perceived threat kicks this part of the brain into high gear. The next priority is avoidance of pain. This function of the brain will create all kinds of emotions, reactions, and behaviors to avoid any kind of pain, whether it's emotional, physical, mental, or relational which just means that's how we connect with others. The next priority is to conserve energy. This part of the brain is our autopilot. It creates patterns or habits that are automatic without putting much energy towards thinking. The last one is pleasure and gain. This part of the brain is based on wants and desires. You know, what feels good. This takes intentional growth and learning along with repeated practice to activate. So our behaviors, emotions, and thinking are driven by hormonal and biochemical activity in our brain and nervous system. So these are some of the chemicals that we have in our systems. There's dopamine. This gives us motivation, learning, pleasure, habits, goal-seeking, and desires. We have oxytocin. This enables attachment, connection, trust, and promotes stable relationships. There's serotonin. This gives us feelings of self-worth, gives us a positive self-image, and enables enjoyment. And then there's endorphins. They reduce pain and inflammation, calm anxiety, and reduce isolation and loneliness. So what happens if we have less or more of these chemicals in our systems? So for example, if we have less dopamine, it can lead to low self-esteem, no motivation, low energy, lack of focus, lack of concentration, anxiousness, feeling hopeless, and mood swings. If we have less oxytocin, 
We can feel lonely, stressed, disconnected from relationships, and can have insomnia. If we have less serotonin, we can be overly sensitive, have panic attacks. We can have obsessive thoughts and actions. And if we have less endorphins, we can feel depressed, feel physical aches and pains more intensely, and can have inflammation in our brain and body systems. All of these behaviors and reactions are biologically correct responses to the lack of chemicals in our systems. We don't choose these behaviors. I mean, no one would, right? Other chemicals that we have in our systems are noradrenaline, adrenaline, and cortisol. If we have an increase in these chemicals, for example, if we have more noradrenaline, we can be really angry, feel hostile and agitated. If we have more adrenaline in our systems, we can feel heightened fear, anxiety, want to run away, have a lack of focus and be hyperactive, which means extremely active. If we have more cortisol, it reduces dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. It reduces our ability to think, process, and think logically. It reduces our ability to stop behaviors and keeps us from forming memories in a step-by-step and logical way. So what this all means is that when we experience repeated traumatic events and our brain and nervous system are constantly on high alert scanning for danger, even when danger isn't happening in the present moment, it causes these chemical imbalances that impact us in so many ways. It's not our fault. We aren't choosing these behaviors. Our brain and body are reacting in the correct way. So when these different chemicals are out of balance, the body has to work to try and bring them back into balance. If something triggers you, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, you might be able to function better in about 20 to 30 minutes. But if you have a history of toxic stress and adversity, it'll take much longer for the body to metabolize or process these chemicals. The short end might be six to eight hours, or it could be as long as 30 hours. So after an event, you can be out of balance for quite a long time. There are also lots of changes that happen in our brain as a result of repeated toxic stress. So the front part of our brain, the thinking part called the prefrontal cortex shuts down. We have increased fear responses and we don't have the ability to reality check which just means we can't think through things in a logical way. We have problems with memory. We can have a constant doom loop running through our minds. And what that is, is just, you know, our minds go to the worst possible outcome we can imagine. We may not be able to control our emotions or we might feel emotionally flat or numb. This also affects the way we learn. 
We can't prioritize or put things in a logical order of importance. We may see everything negatively. We can't focus or concentrate. And we may miss things called social cues from others, which is our ability to observe other people's body language, attitude, tone of voice, and other nonverbal actions. New things and situations can feel completely overwhelming and very stressful because it can trigger feelings of a loss of control. So think of all of the different pieces of your life that these things can affect. It impacts our relationships, our behaviors, how we respond to others in situations, how we learn, and how we function in our daily lives. Our brain also does something else. It creates a tolerance level in response to repeated stress, our environment, and experiences. It's kind of a baseline for what we can take or handle. If we go above or below that baseline level, we are out of our range or window of tolerance. If we go above that window, this is hyperarousal. We're amped up. This is when our sympathetic nervous system is running the show. We're in that fight, flight, or freeze, or survival mode. When we're at this level, we can feel shaky. We emotionally overreact. We may have racing thoughts or be overly defensive. We can feel overwhelmed, unsafe, and we can react impulsively to things. There are so many things that affect that window of tolerance. Our past learning history, the impact of a less than ideal environment, family dynamics, feeling out of control. We can even be impacted by stress before we're born. A pregnant mother who experiences daily stress has noradrenaline, adrenaline, and cortisol running through her system. These pass through the placenta to the baby. The baby's body and brain develop in a way that's influenced by these chemicals. Genetics can also be a factor. So when we're pushed out of our range of tolerance, we develop or adapt reactive behaviors to deal with or try to gain control of a situation. These are autopilot behaviors. Remember, these are biologically correct behaviors because our nervous system is running the show. They just happen. We don't choose them. So something, some situation comes up. We're amped up. Our survival brain kicks in. In order to gain some control, we might get up and leave or get angry, hostile. We can't focus. Our brain can feel foggy. We may feel that we need to be perfect. We can overplan, overthink, overprepare. We can't think logically, can't prioritize tasks or follow through with them. Another biologically correct behavior we can develop is called mitigation. This means that we create space mentally between what our body is experiencing and how we perceive or see it. It's a natural way that is biologically programmed into us when we're above that range of tolerance our brain creates. In certain situations, say crowds, we'll put as much physical space as possible between us and other people. 
or we may just avoid crowds altogether. To avoid distressing thoughts, we may shut down our feelings, become numb, or we might daydream or retreat into a fantasy world. To protect ourselves, we might obsess over our safety. Again, we can overthink and overplan. Remember, these behaviors are automatic. We can't control them. We might develop an eating disorder or constantly check and recheck things. Somatic experiences or bodily experiences can feel like intense anxiety, tightening in the chest, rapid heartbeat, feeling sweaty, and having shallow breathing. To mitigate or put distance between our body and our experience of these feelings, we might disconnect or disassociate from our body so we don't feel these things. And that can feel like having an out-of-body experience. Another mitigating behavior has to do with switching or substituting. What we do is we try and replace one feeling with another. We might say replace grief with anger or another emotion we feel we can handle better. This also might show up as binge eating, substance use, shopping, or other behaviors to replace or distract ourselves from distressing emotions. My personal mitigating go-to is staying very busy. This busyness is my way of avoiding being alone with my thoughts. So when we've been raised in damaging or adverse environments as adults, we can create adaptive or action-oriented responses to situations. We can have all or nothing thinking Things are either one way or another. There's no in-between. We might be overly critical or blaming. We might create abrupt limit setting, you know, saying, that's it, I've had it, forget it, you just shut down. We might be dismissive or use ultimatums with others, you know, do it my way or else. The opposite of these action-oriented behaviors is passive or unassertive. This could feel like just giving in to a situation. We might feel frozen, stuck, trapped. We might feel numb or use things to distract ourselves. We may feel disconnected from our body and mind. We can be depressed and withdrawn. Adverse life experiences condition us to react faster to anything we feel is a threat, often before we're even aware of it. The space between the threat and our response to it gets shorter. This may cause us to act before we think something through and weigh the consequences of our actions. So physically, our brain makes connections. Think of a road map with all of the connecting streets and highways based on our environments, senses, perceptions, history, genetics, and experiences. Our nervous system looks for certain things to create patterns or templates for our behaviors and responses. These are developed in different kinds of patterns. So there's relational patterns, which means how you view yourself and others. Emotional patterns. These are reduced patterns of emotional expressions as habits are created. 
there's cognitive patterns, which is not the content of a thought, but how you think and view things. And then there's physical patterns, tension, movement, posture, coordination, things like that. So we build habits through the connections that our brain makes. The more we go to or use certain responses, reactions, and behaviors, the connections in our brain that drive our responses thicken and become stronger. This means that the stronger the connection is in our brain, the more likely we are to use those patterns or habits that we've built. And once that pattern is built, it happens without conscious thought or awareness. It's automatic. Even when we build new patterns, those old patterns are still there lurking in the background and will come out in times of stress. It takes a lot of attention and focus to build new patterns, and it gets harder the more distracted or unfocused we are. Change is really hard because it requires specific intention and focus, and anything that distracts or interrupts us from that intention can derail us and get us off track. With our histories of toxic stress and adversity, the brain is routed towards safety, which drives our automatic responses. Remember, our thinking brain is shut down and our survival brain is running the show. They can't both be on at the same time. It's either one or the other. So a few minutes ago, I said I talk about triggers. We hear that word so often, trigger. But what really is a trigger? A trigger is a strong emotional, behavioral, and sometimes even a physical response to something that reminds us of a past bad traumatizing event. It can be anything, a sound, a smell, an event like the holidays. Even certain people can trigger us. What can set us off is very personal because it's related to our experiences. Our brain starts that distress signal and we're instantly in survival mode. We can feel unsafe and both the brain and body throw up its defensive behaviors and reactions. We can also have flashbacks or relive and re-experience a traumatic event. We can feel like we're right back there at that time and moment. These are classic hallmarks of post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress, which many people associate with veterans who've experienced war. But as we now know, traumatic experiences, histories, and environments can cause anyone to develop them. I know for me personally, as a child, through my teens and in my abusive relationship, I felt like I was in my own personal war. Of course, not in the way a soldier would experience it, but I fought, felt attacked, was attacked, lived in constant chaos, and felt that my safety and even my life at times, literally, were in danger. And I still fight my own personal war daily to survive, to function, and just be, as I know so many of us do. 
all of these different imbalances and biologically correct responses and behaviors can have long-term effects on our lives. Our lives and environments can become chaotic and can lead to unstable impacts. We might not be able to hold down a job or have healthy relationships. We feel like we can't function, don't fit in, or have a sense of belonging. So these are just some of the reasons why getting past our trauma is so very hard. When we hear things from other people or read on social media, things like just get over it or just be more positive and it'll be fine or just think happy thoughts or repeat this affirmation. We can feel like we're a failure. Let me tell you, if it was that easy, no one would have any issues. If we could do it, we would have done it and we've tried it and it just doesn't work. So the first big takeaway from all of this information is that it is not your fault. You didn't choose what happened to you or how it affected you. How you behave and respond is all biologically correct in response to your experiences, environment, genetics, and history. So the really good news is that even though you can't erase what happened to you, you can learn new ways to cope, respond, and process things in a way that will positively impact your behaviors and begin to build a bridge towards healing. It takes work and practice. Remember, it takes intention and follow through to build a new habit and create new connections in our brains. So think of our brains like a computer. We can constantly upload updates and software to increase our computer's performance and add new programs. But we start easy with that baby step forward. So in the last episode, I closed with a purposeful self-hugging exercise. As we've just talked about triggers, I'd like to do some grounding exercises with you if that's okay. Now you don't have to do them now if you don't want to, but it might be helpful for you just to listen and tuck them away in your mind in case you need them. So mindful belly breathing is a good way to center yourself. And how you do this is you breathe slowly in through your nose to a count of five. Your belly should push out as you inhale. Don't breathe with your chest moving out. Hold your breath for a count of one then slowly exhale out of your mouth to a count of five. Your belly should move in when you exhale. Your chest should not fall as you breathe out. Do this five times. Listen to the sound of your breath as you slowly inhale and exhale. Another grounding technique you can use is the 54321 method. And you can either say this out loud or to yourself. So look around you. 
Look at and identify five things that you can see. It can be anything, a picture, a color, whatever you see. What color are they? What shape are they? The next is four things you can feel. If you're outside, it could be the wind, the fabric of the clothes you're wearing, your skin, anything you can feel. And think about it. Is it smooth or rough? Hard or soft? The next one is three things you can hear. So take a second and listen. What noises can you hear? Are they loud or soft? Are they familiar noises? Or did you discover a new noise? The next one is two things that you can smell. So what smells are around you? A cup of coffee or tea? Shampoo in your hair? The smell of your clothes? The last one is one thing you can taste. Take a drink of something, pop a mint in your mouth. If nothing is available, think of what your favorite taste is and imagine it. How does it make you feel? Another quick grounding technique you can use would be to put your hands under running water. So put both of your hands under running water and notice the temperature of the water and feel yourself rubbing your hands together under the water. Connect with that rubbing sensation and how your hands feel. I hope these exercises have been helpful to you in some way. Remember, they take memory and practice. Also remember that you're building your own personal toolbox and it contains the skills you're learning. So just like you go to a regular toolbox for a screwdriver or a pair of pliers, go to your personal toolbox and pull out a skill, a grounding technique, whatever you need. Also remember, if you're in a mental health crisis in the U.S., you can dial 988 to speak with someone who will provide support, resources, or just listen to you. I want to thank you so much for your time and for listening. I would love to hear from you, your thoughts on the show, ideas, comments, anything that's on your mind. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma or End DV Now. And I'm on Twitter at Carrie Walker 58 Please like and follow me. You can also go to my websites, enddvnow.com or invisiblewoundshealingfromtrauma.com for more information and resources. Please keep listening and look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on all of your favorite podcast apps and platforms. Wherever you listen, please favorite me, subscribe, and download my episodes. Take extra good care of yourself, and we'll talk soon.